and welcome back to The Doctor Is In with Dr. Nadia Saba. I'm Dana Swedan, Dr. Saba's producer. This episode is part of our What Plants Crave series, where Dr. Saba speaks with growers, researchers, and other experts in controlled environment agriculture to get their insights about the direction of the industry and, of course, what exactly it is that plants crave. This week, we're finishing up our conversation with Michelle Hackett. Michelle is the president of the largest female minority-owned cannabis company in the world that is fully vertically integrated, with 75% of the company's workforce being minority women. Thanks for joining us. What I love about farmers in general, uh, one of the things I love about farmers is, yeah, that they're tinkerers, that they figure things out. They will cobble any, like, four random parts together to like make a motor and you're like what the hell like how did you even come up with that they're so ingenious right I mean they're just like the the ultimate jack of all trades and just super down to earth and also you know I love the community in general of agriculture and farming and we're going to talk about that a, a little bit later but you guys coming from a place of traditional agriculture and specifically commodity agriculture. I mean, this isn't, you know, high value berry crops, for instance, or almonds or something. I mean, you, you almost have an advantage, right? And, and I like that you think of it like that because there, there's so many people, especially in indoor. And, and if I think about our friends in vertical farming, uh, you know, who are trying to grow commodity ag products indoors, right? A very high intensity and automated so many of them come from a technology background, right? And and yeah. I and I super appreciate that, you know, these folks who have computer science degrees and engineering degrees, that they want to do something good for the world rather than just like creating new apps and working for Meta or, you know, whatever. And they, they want to like, you know, feed the world and help the world, but they're not farmers, right? And, and they and they try to sort of roboticize everything and use, you know, a high image, you know, uh, uh, infrared cameras and imaging cameras and, and have machines do the work for them, which I'm not, I'm not against automation in general, but I mean, I've had conversations with some of these high tech people who are just like, you know, who, who think it's easy, like you plant a seed and it's going to grow right? Like what else does it take? And they don't even think to even look at the literature in, in agriculture or horticultural science to see like what has been done. They are reinventing the wheel a lot of times thinking that they're creating something new. And this lettuce plant has been around for a long time, unless we're breeding them for, for this new environment. So I love that you bring that sensibility. And I feel like that is the efficiency of of the future of of cannabis and and any sort of uh, controlled environment agriculture to be profitable, you have to bring those costs down and doing it yourself <laughs> and yeah. buying the machines or the automation that have already been built up around agriculture for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I mean, of course. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we. We've, of course, you know, made investment investments into machinery that, that made sense when the time was right. But to say if, if we were to have just put all this money that we really didn't have into this operation for things we didn't need, it would have ruined us. We would have been out of business. I mean, I will say, like, for example, if you go into any, you know, growership or processor that is 
packaging, bag salad, bag spring mix, um, you know, that you purchase today in the grocery store, I will say that we were very fortunate. We had those contacts, you know, from back then and the automatic weigh scales, they make a huge difference. If you're going to do a retail line, if you want to get high volume orders out. And so investments like that were, were crucial, right? So we wanted to have a retail line. We wanted to have a retail presence and we wanted to offer white labeling services in the future, which is what we do now. So in terms of that type of, you know, technology or, or machinery that can, you know, of course, greatly impact your business in a positive way. But then when you think about some of these systems that have come out and, 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 and like you said, all these robotics and stuff, unless you're running a really high end, you know, laboratory that's doing, you know, extractions and edibles and all these different things, um, you know, we are not involved in that. We end it, you know, obviously cannabis production. It's just We've seen it to be not necessary. You know, we we have been very conservative in what we purchase for our operation. And um, the bottom line is people do it better. You know, we get told all the time, oh, why don't you, you know, why don't you use a bucking machine or why don't you, you know, use this or why don't you use that? Trust me, don't you think we've tried? Like we've we've purchased machinery in the past and we've been very transparent. And if it doesn't work, and if our people can do it faster or better or more cost efficient, that's what wins. Whatever is more cost efficient and effective is what we will always choose, at least at Riverview Farm. So, you know, we have tried machinery that has come out and we've sent it back if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work for our needs and our operation, that doesn't mean it may not work on a smaller scale or for another operator. But you know, for us, you know, we always put our people first and if they can, if they can do it better or more efficiently, that's what we go with. Not to mention, I mean, like agriculture and farming is like in our DNA, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like arguably the greatest invention we've ever had. So uh, why do we want to take that away from ourselves? It just, it makes me sad thinking about that. So uh, good segue, uh, your last comments into uh, sort of a uh, next line of questions I wanted to ask, which is, you know, what does efficiency mean to you and, and how do you measure it? So I think for us, you know, there's obviously, you know, the growing, there's so many different elements to our business, right? So, I mean, it it means many things, but, you know, for us, it's being frugal, being cost efficient. You know, how do we get, like I said, the best quality cannabis out for the lowest price? And so, you know, for us, it's meant not putting in the lights when everyone around us put in supplemental lighting and it's a huge expenditure. So you have to think that that price per pound is going up. And ours has stayed, you know, for example, the same being able to manage labor. So our crews are so efficient that they understand the various tasks that need to take place. And as I said earlier, they're cross-trained. So if we need today to shift from working in the, in the processing room, maybe they're bucking and trimming to, we have an immediate need to take down a crop early. Our crew knows how to exactly stop what they're doing sanitize their workstation and jump out to the next task that needs to be done on the farm. I will say, you know, having that cross training makes our team an asset to any supervisor on the facility. I will say that we have an incredible like labor labor manager on our facility that's always dictating and planning for the next day with our grower, with my dad, Mike, setting the crews up for success. So the next day, everyone knows that what we're doing, we like to see ourselves as a well-oiled machine. We have the same procedures for every single task on this farm that no one should ever come and to work in the morning and not know where they're going or what they're doing. One thing that I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say is a lot of what we do, we keep in house. So we don't use a fancy marketing firm or marketing team through a local artist uh, here in Salinas. 
I helped come up with the packaging with my dad and my sister. We've done many, um, you know, revisions on the packaging, but I still order all of the packaging we use for our retail brands myself. Uh, we have our own in-house labelers, anything that we can do ourselves and do here saves us money. And so we're always wearing multiple hats and, uh, we don't mind because we're getting the job done ourselves and we can control our narrative when we do things that, that way. So, you know, for us, you know, being, being efficient is having our own in-house compliance team, our own in-house, you know, finance team, our own in-house sales team, you know, the sales element of cannabis is so interesting. And so many cultivators go to that third-party distribution as a needs for sales outlet. They need, you know, the cash flow, they need the turnover, and they don't know sometimes where to start in terms of carving out customers. And, you know, we have, we have never sold out to a third-party distributor. We have always sold to our own Rolodex of customers. And those those Rolodex of customers are people that pay on time, reorder, and have great working relationships with either myself or my sales team. And um, I've always kept a pulse on sales. I still run our wholesale program today. So for anybody that is owns a brand, owns a distribution company, they work directly with me. And so I'm not so far removed from the situation. Yes, I'm the president, but I'm still very involved in every aspect of the business. And you have to be if you're going to lead a successful team. So you know, my sister, she runs, as I've said, the retail, the retail division, but she's right down the hall. We can discuss, you know, challenges, opportunities, what our competitors are doing and quickly adjust. We're not having to go to a board of supervisors or a board of investors. We're able to make decisions and adjust right away. We started with one retail line. We saw a need for an even lower tier, you know, a more cost of effective brand. So we brought in a second brand. We started getting an uptick in orders. So we we took the you know risk and bought those waste scale machines. We started buying vans, hired more salespeople as we can allow. But you know, for us, being efficient is learning from our mistakes and being frugal and trying to do as much as we can internally as physically possible because that's how ultimately you save money. So, what do you say to the growers who sort of silo their team members? Right, we we have. Uh, some clients who, you know, you have one job and that's the only job you do. You can't even go near like the dry room and the processing room. Like you are only, you know, in clone and veg uh, or you're only in flower. You're only in this. Uh, The fact that you are sort of cross training your employees and you're saying that's creating efficiency. That's interesting because I feel like some people think it's more efficient to have the, you know, the Henry Ford model where you just crank out this, you just learn one skill and you just crank out that same skill all the time. So, I mean, I think, I I think there's, there's merit to what you're saying, right? Everyone has to stay in their lane, right? I would never go tell my head cultivator, Sean, how to effectively grow a high THC plant. That is his niche. That is what we pay him for. And he does an incredible job. Of course we make decisions together. We sit down, we look at menus, we talk about trends, we look at, you know, analytical testing together as to which strains have performed better than others. We, you know, plan for future. Um, We talk about issues that are coming in the room. So I'm educated when it comes from a sales point. So yes, of course, there, there is something to be said about staying in your lane, but there's also that constant communication and harmony about educating one another on our needs. You know, if I let Sean run with the menu, he loves growing exotics. He loves growing exotics and exotics are very hot right now. 
but we always have to be thinking about what our end consumers are going to buy, whether that be um, our retail partners or our wholesale partners, and they want variety. So I'm always telling them, hey, don't forget, we need some gases or don't forget, we need some fruits. So I don't know if that's a great example, but there's chiefs and there's Indians. And so we expect our, you know, our chiefs, our various levels of supervisors to set out a plan and follow it. And, you know, our people follow suit. What I like to see is a collaborative effort. So you know, normally the senior management crew out in the field get together, our head cultivator, our laborer, our, you know, head of, you know, nursery production, they all want to make sure we're on schedule, we're on time, that we're collaboratively sharing labor if there's an immediate need, if we need to put up trellis netting, but there's also a bulk wholesale order that needs to go out. Can we shift the labor midweek to do both functions. Collaborative efforts is what I mean more so than, you know, stepping on one another's toes. We all have to be in communication. All of my managers have walkie talkies so that we all know where each other is on the property. If there's an issue, um, we have a text thread that goes overnight. So the communication has to be constant, right? I don't expect anyone to, to jump into one another's lane. You know, I, I wouldn't appreciate if Sean told me how to, how to sell, how to sell flour, but I appreciate his input. And, and that's what I think is, is more so what I mean is, you know, obviously we all have to stay in our lane and stay focused on our goals, but if we're not regularly in communication and giving one another ideas or suggestions as to how we can, you know, better execute maybe for future, you know, that's more so what I mean. I will say that, um, you know, everyone has their niche and what they're focused on, but it is very important that we do come together regularly and communicate about, you know, the challenges and successes that happen here daily, because this is a living, breathing farm and people don't realize how fast things change. And there sometimes is a need to shift our labor from one function to another, but we're able to do it because our people, our laborers are cross-trained. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I, I think of is that if, even if you had like a, a rotating schedule where people learn, you know, were, were focused on certain tasks, let's just, let's just call it, you know, went from clone, veg, flower, and drying, right? Like if, if they rotated through that, I would imagine that a lot of uh, growers or grow staff would have these aha moments, right? Where they're in flower and they're like, oh my God, you know, like if they cut the plant this way instead for clone, this would make our lives so much easier. Or we could prune the plant in a different way. And then they rotate to clone, or at least they're communicating to the clone team, right? Like, because they know what's going on at the clone level, that they can see how it proliferates to flower or, you know, making adjustments, you know, in flower because of how things are cloned. I, I, I feel like if you, if you, if you have more skills and you have a bigger picture understanding of the entire process, that you're going to be better at your job and, and create those little efficiencies that are going to add up in the end to big efficiencies. Absolutely. And I think that's the benefit too, is that for, you know, the outside world looking at our operation, it's, it's a 20 acre facility. People probably make these assumptions that there's these staffs of, you know, 300 people and, and, you know, all these levels of senior management. I mean, people would probably laugh if they knew, you know, how many bodies we have operating. We are lean and green right now because obviously, you know, we've been up against several challenges in this marketplace, but you know, in terms of senior management, we're about a dozen. So we're all wearing multiple hats, helping one another out, 
making sure that the jobs are getting done. And then in terms of laborers, we're at about 50. So during peak season, we're anywhere between 125 to 150. But, you know, right now, this is winter. This is obviously a very, you know, challenging time in our industry right now. So we're running this operation on about 60 people and everyone knows their role and what they need to get done. And so um, we're very lucky that, you know, because of our, you know, communication that we're able to, to do what we do on a very uh, lean, a lean uh, staff right now. What are the challenges you're facing right now? Because I feel like there must be multiple. <laughs> I mean, everything from client, or I'm sorry, everything from climate, right, and water to taxation and prices. I mean, I feel like it must run the gamut. Yeah, so I mean, I'll start on a more global level and I'll bring it into Monterey County because I'm sure most of your listeners are maybe a a larger broad. So, I mean, obviously the California market has gone through a tremendous beating the last nine months to a year. And I really attribute that to, you know, two or three things. One, a mass overproduction of cannabis cultivation in the state of California. There has been absolutely nothing done to regulate the number of cannabis cultivation licenses that have been given out in the state. And if we had done any due diligence or research into how many legal retail and delivery outlets there are, they don't align. So there's a huge overproduction issue, obviously, happening in the state with not enough legal outlets. Although it's legal in the state, every single county has been able to pick and choose whether or not they would like to bring cannabis into their community. And unfortunately, that has been a huge setback for for the industry as you know, the black market, whether we like it or not, is thriving. You know, there's so much production here in the state of California. And because we're only able to ship in the state of California, you know, there's, there's what, maybe 600 California retailers available right now. And truth be told, a farm my size could fulfill all of their, all of their flower needs, probably myself. So, you know, we're up against a rock and a hard place there. On this comment about retail outlets, are there enough to meet the demand or, or um, could there be like 2000? We need, we need retail outlets to be like 7-Elevens and gas stations. We need one on every single corner of every single street because we don't have enough legal outlets. And There's enough demand for that? I, I believe there is. I mean, when you look at other states and um, you see the amount of, you know, cannabis being sold legally. It's very interesting because California has a huge population and we are not capitalizing on all the opportunities to sell cannabis legally to consumers. I think it's not accessible in many communities amongst the state. California is a big state and there's many communities that have not allowed for cannabis cultivation. Think about it this way. If you were elderly, didn't have a driver's license, or just flat out out of convenience, if cannabis was not accessible to me in a 30 mile radius, of course, I would just go buy it. Unfortunately, off the black market from a friend, from a neighbor, from a, from an indoor little girl. They're going to come to you. (laughs) They're, They're not going to, they're not, no one is going to go out of their way. We don't have to go out of our way to get wine. We don't have to go out of our way to get cigarettes. So, you know, with cannabis cultivation being so segmented and allowing, uh, you know, counties to pick and choose, it's created a huge issue because there is demand. There are more residents in California, probably, I don't know this, I shouldn't say this, but obviously we have a huge population. And I, and I think that there's a lot of interest and a lot of demand for cannabis. We can see it in, 
in the sales. But again, you know, we just, we're, what we're up against is not enough opportunity to sell it into, you know, legal outlets. So like I said, overproduction, not enough legal outlets. And I will say the, the, the regulatory side of things. When we talk about the black market, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's a very, you know, taboo subject, right? No one wants to talk about it or think that it exists, but obviously it does. And where, where is the support from state and, state and local agencies to use the common sense to, for example, if we're greenhouse cultivators, and a lot of us are using lights, I'll use Monterey County just simply as an example. Come nighttime, those of, uh, those of us that are running lights, can, you can see them from a mile away because they're all lit up. You know, it would be very simple to grab the state licenses or, you know, I know the county keeps record, obviously, of all of the licensed cultivators. Why don't we do a drive-by of the community and make sure that there is a license designated to every single lit up cannabis cultivation site? You would think that that would be low that. Well, I, I'm not in law enforcement, so I, I shouldn't I shouldn't make any presumptions as to what they do. And I don't want to stay on is what you're saying. There's nobody yeah. knocking on their door saying you got to turn the lights off. And, you know, when when we get site inspections and, and things in the past, you know, the, the, the thought process is, well, always let us know if you know anything about illegal or illicit grows. And, you know, that's not our job. Our job is to run a compliant business. So I'm not worried with, with what other people are doing, but they are negatively affecting our business and giving us a bad rap. So, you know, for us, I, I would love to see some more support about, you know, how are they going to put an end to the, to the illicit growers? Because they're not paying tax. They're not following compliancy, they're obviously running rogue and benefiting from the profits. And when I bring it into a more, you know, local standpoint, we are obviously coming to an end of what we were known as, you know, temporary licenses. We're all going to now have to start getting annual licenses and having these quarterly inspections by our county. um, And I haven't, I have not seen uh, reports from other counties as to how it goes when they are inspected regularly, but we get laundry lists, pages and pages of things that are found upon every inspection and every visit of improvements they want to see done to the property and adding fire sprinklers in our dry rooms and our processing rooms. And, you know, these greenhouses had been in production for 20, 30 years prior to cannabis cultivation. With wood frames. Yeah, and never needed, never needed fire sprinklers, and and that's just you know one example. I, I could go on for examples for 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 hours, but you know these nurseries had soil piles. Obviously, everyone uses soil for cannabis production for any production of cannabis, and you know we were told recently, you know our soil piles were getting too big, and you know we have a hauler that comes regularly and hauls off the soil with the cannabis waste, but we also recycle soil. So we were trying to educate and explain that we are always going to have soil piles on site because it's we're this whole thing of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Because in Monterey County, you're also not allowed to use rock wool, right? Yes. Yeah, so we've we've come up against. It's gotten to be so tit for tat. We need to work together with our agencies to come into compliancy and we're willing to do it. But every single time we're written up for an item, it costs us cultivators money. And right now we don't have the, we don't have the money. Well, Monterey County is, I believe the only county that decided to throw in an additional tax for regional fire. My regional fire bill is upwards of over $40,000 for my facility. And so why would I need to pay an additional fire tax when I'm paying property tax, county cultivation tax, county nursery tax? I used to have to pay a county distribution tax 
Thank God the county has worked with us and eliminated that. Um, state tax. I mean, the, the level goes on and on, but I don't know if it was a last minute thought or where they were able to sneak this additional tax in, but no other county is, is requiring a fire tax. Yes. Does the fire come out quarterly to do a site inspection? Yes. And they are here for about a day of their time, helping us get into compliancy, noting things they want done differently or improved upon. But, you know, that should come out of the general fund, the taxes that we're already paying. So, you know, just just this week, myself and a handful of other cultivators, we had to sit at the regional board fire meeting and all make statements about, hey, this is a depressed market. There's an overproduction. We're struggling industry right now. And we don't have the money to pay the cultivation tax, let alone an additional fire tax. Work with us. And it, it seems that, you know, everyone assumes that it's this cash crop that we're all just sitting on piles and piles of money. And, and we need to wake up and, 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 and understand that if this is going to be a viable industry that lasts for years to come, we have to work with one another and be realistic. I think that, you know, putting all eggs in the basket of cannabis to fund all these various different, you know, programs, um, that's what we're paying tax for. I don't think that we should be taxed though to the level of, you know, insanity. And that's what it's, that's what it's become. There's no other commodity in the world that is taxed at the level that cannabis is. It's not only unfair, it's putting multiple businesses out. They will not survive. So, you know, the relief that we've seen here locally by working with our county has been tremendous. We've just recently gone from $5 a square foot to $3 a square foot. You know, we're still paying a nursery tax. I'd love to work with, um, you know, Monterey County to educate them as to hopefully maybe eliminating that tax in the future. I can understand paying a nursery tax to a client if they were going to come and purchase clones or teens for me. But if I'm putting my own clones and teens into my own production, I have to pay a tax to the county for nursery. I'm not just paying on my finished goods. I'm paying at nursery. I'm paying at cultivation. And then we were also paying at distribution. We were also paying at the final sales. We have thankfully eliminated the distribution tax that will come into effect next quarter. So we will no longer have to pay a distribution tax, but we still are paying a nursery tax, which I think is just insane. And you're not selling anything. What are you going to put on? on moving the plants from nursery to to flowering space. That's some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I would love to see still change. And, um, you know, I, I know that every county is obviously taxed differently. Some people obviously prefer the gross receipts. I do see the advantages there, but, you know, Monterey County has already been at this dollar per square foot. So we felt that we could affect change faster by asking for a reduced rate. Uh, we wanted it to be at $2. The Board of Supervisors came back at $3 and we see it as a win, but it really won't come into effect until our, our next payment, which isn't until April. But now is the time that people don't have the money. Winter is the most challenging time for any, any cannabis cultivator. Um, so we're really struggling right now to get the county's attention and and, uh, you know, our taxes due on the 31st and, and many of us are struggling to find where we are going to find that money as the sales has, have been down. The, you know, overall price per pound is roughly $500 a square foot and most cultivators cost of production. Some of the best cultivators in the game, I would be surprised if they can produce anything cheaper than $350, $400 a pound. 
again, that's just my rough numbers, but um, we're basically selling at a push by the time or loss by the time we pay out all the taxation. So really having a, a, a big focus on now the state, you know, working towards uh, either amended reduction or elimination of the state tax. I mean, it was asinine that the state tax went up this year where the county's actually working with us to go down in tax. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. And I know, you know, Governor Newsom, you know, has made some statements that he's going to look at the budget and, hey, that's all great. But, you know, I, I feel that in these last six months, my job has gone from selling cannabis to lobbying for myself as a grower, as, as a business owner, um, and as a, as a woman in cannabis. I, I feel that my, my primary function has been setting up meetings with board of supervisors, talking to other counties, asking them, hey, how is this working for you? Educating myself as to who we talk to at the state. And I'm telling you, I have emailed everyone from the governor down and I've gotten maybe one response from one senator who um, I'll leave unnamed that hopefully is going to come out and visit us and understand what we're going through. But, you know, I will say locally, the county has been very receptive. I, I think that we are one of the only counties that are holding a monthly stakeholders meeting. I do pay that tribute to, you know, our cannabis czar, Joanne Yamoto. She has really opened up this year to working with cannabis cultivators to understand our issues and at least hear us out. And that's all we need to under have a, have a voice and be able to talk about the issues we're experiencing and for her to articulate it then to her staff who all report to her that are coming out and inspecting us. And then also helping us bridge the gap when we do need to make these presentations to the Board of Supervisors. So I will say there has been a very positive collaborative effort from Monterey County, and I do owe them credit that we have this past year started to work together on issues. And I will say that they've been a huge player in helping um, some of these initiatives like the tax reduction on Canopy from 3 to $5. We wouldn't have done it on our own. I think they helped in that, but we still need more help. You know, why are we paying a nursery tax? Why are we the only county paying a regional fire tax? Um, so there, there, you know, there's there's just more questions. And I know that, um, you know, probably from the other side, they're thinking, I've been told this so many times, well, you chose to get into this industry and you knew it was gonna be highly regulated and you knew, no, do you think anyone knew? I've been now in this since 2016 till now. I, I still can't predict what's gonna happen next. This is still, a new and emerging industry. Nobody can predict, in my opinion, what's going to happen next. This is ever changing and it will continue to change until it's open, you know, nationwide. So I think it's it's very small minded for sometimes people to say, well, you knew what you were getting into. None of us knew what we were getting into and we're learning every single day. And that's why we have to adapt. We will be successful if we work together and adapt. So that's a great segue to my next question, which is, do you feel like the cannabis industry is more competitive or collaborative? That's an interesting question. I will say locally communicative. I have an incredible group of cultivators that I meet with regularly. I'm on the board of MCCIA, which is our local industry association. It's Monterey County Cannabis Industry Association. I serve on the board of that and it's a collaborative monthly meeting with various members of the industry. It's not just cannabis cultivators, but obviously that's where my primary interest is. So monthly, I host cannabis cultivation meetings and I have for about a year. And of course, obviously MCCIA is invited, but if you are a licensed Monterey County cannabis holder, you are invited to my meetings that I hold monthly. To be honest with you, it's about four of us. My dad 
has has prefaced it as it was like when I was raising you girls. I have three, two sisters. So he said when it came down to coaching the soccer team or putting on, you know, a school fundraiser, it was four of four or five of us parents that would always volunteer and always raise our hands. And I'm learning that lesson now that in our community of Monterey County, there's about four or five cultivators that I can rely on that, that we meet, we talk openly, we're transparent, and I want to see them succeed more than anybody because yes, are they my direct competitors? Yes, but we're all fighting for a common goal. We are all working towards positive reform for our industry. We are all trying to survive and ride out the storm. So, you know, here locally, I think we are very well in tune, you know, on a, on a more on a more global level or on a wider level, you know, it's a very cutthroat industry. I mean, I think that right now the price war that's going on, you know, being that lowest cost producer and people slitting pricing and, and going to the retail level, you know, it's gotten to be insane. What I hear sometimes from, from the retail level operators, you know, their buyers are getting taken to warrior games and they're being, you know, flown out on these trips to, to incentivize them to buy like the, the budget and the marketing spend sometimes at the retail level to ensure that that business comes through. I mean, it reminds me a lot of liquor sales, right? I mean, that's how you get the business. We don't follow that model to per se. We hope that our product obviously speaks for ourselves. We love to have great relationships with our end buyers, but you know, I will say that there are very unique strategies used out in the sales force. And, and sometimes I think it hinders our industry. You know, we our, our product should sell, sell our product should uh, be what leads us, you know, to, to the finish line in terms of success. But you know, I, I've been very fortunate to make very long lasting relationships with, you know, other businesses. And I think it's just about like-minded people. I think that's the better word is, you know, when I find a like-minded individual who thinks about business the same way I do, I will forever be a fan and want to see them succeed, regardless of if they're a direct competitor or not. Seeing this as a business and trying to positively affect change and trying to make this a better lasting industry and working together and being transparent. Those are all things I look for when I, when I think about business relationships, you know, that's what I expect to give and that's what I want in return. And, you know, you can never expect the same from, from a customer, a colleague, or someone you meet in this industry, but the one, the relationships that last for me are the ones that uh, I've earned their respect and, and they've given it to me in return. So there's obviously lots of competition happening here in our industry. And, and you know, you have to want yourself to succeed, but you also have to have a great, uh, a great community around you. And I do think that's what we have here in Monterey County. So I am very lucky that at least locally, I, I do feel that we have a team of like-minded individuals who work together on issues that want to see each other succeed. Yeah, I mean... I, I, when I think about other agricultural communities, one of the things that always has impressed me about farmers, other than being like the great tinkerers, is their competitive slash collaborative spirit. When I worked on that mushroom farm, I remember there was a time we, we produced too much. And so he called up other growers in the area in the Pacific Northwest, like, can you take some of my product? Can you buy some like at sort of a wholesale price, right? To unload. And other times we didn't produce enough. And so he's calling up his competitors, uh, asking if he can help, if they can help him fill orders you know, and, and I just, I love that. And, and the other thing that I think about is how many 
agricultural sort of consortiums and boards there are throughout the country. You know, in California, we have the almond board. There's the lettuce board and the potato board and all these like groups who are trying to grow the same thing, who are like-minded, who might be competitors, who would also see the greater good by working together, maybe like pulling some money together towards research or towards marketing. I mean, think about Got Milk. That meant all the dairy producers had to get together, right? I mean, that, that, <laughs> and have this common message. And, and I want to see cannabis do that more. I want to see vertical farmers do that more. You know, the, the whole CEA industry see themselves more as in this together than it's us against you. Absolutely. I agree. And I think that we have some organizations, you know, like the Cannabis Conference, uh, Hall of Flowers, the NCIA, they do some event work, but I've yet to find opportunities to continue to engage with, with like-minded individuals. And, and yes, I do it here locally, but in terms of, for example, I, I've wanted to understand what, what happens and how things happen in Santa Barbara and Carpinteria. And this year, Autumn Shelton is the president chair. And I reached out to her. I kept looking for her at every you know, major event. And I happened to meet her husband at the last Hall of Flowers, who was a very lovely gentleman. He gave me her contact, uh, me and another local cultivator. We, we got on a call with her. We exchanged ideas and thoughts. And we're going to do it again in February. And, you know, shame on me. I should do that with, with other counties. I, I just... Uh, she was another female in the industry, which I always obviously kind of gravitate towards. And uh, she was doing a lot of political work, which is what I'd been working on. And we had a great conversation and I hopefully we'll have another one. And she was very open about what they were working on there. And we tried to be the be the same. And I think that's where we can really benefit is, is, is conversations like that. And I wish that, you know, whether through our counties or through the state, we would have a little bit more collaborative uh, discussions or opportunities to talk with one another because, you know, it's really just these conferences or these events that are held that that draw people to either a destination or knowing that they're going to be able to network that that creates these, you know, once a year or maybe if you're lucky quarterly opportunities and then you run into them again, you know, six months later, hey, how have you been? Let's touch base and you know, time flies. We all get into our our zone of of running our businesses, but. I agree with you 1000%. I'd love to see more collaborative efforts. You know, I'm an open book. I like to chat, chat, chat. So, I mean, I'll chat with, with anybody that wants to chat cannabis. Contact us if you want to contact Michelle. We'll put you yes. in touch. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you see the cannabis industry evolve over the next five or 10 years? Are we going to be federally legal? I hope. <laughs> My fingers are crossed. Some people don't hope that. You hope that. I do because I think... We're very lucky. I think there still is, and maybe I'm making this up in my mind, but I think there is a real desire to smoke California cannabis amongst the nation. I think, I don't know this to be true, but for people that we were talking about briefly earlier, tourism, tourists that come to visit California, whether it's Los Angeles, San Francisco, Monterey Bay, you know, I would be very interested to know what percentage of them, if it's not legal in their state, go to a dispensary and go check it out and want that experience. It's like I know when Colorado legalized it and we had a chance to go to Denver, of course, that was like one of the first stops. It was like, this is exactly. brand new. You got to see what this is all about. Yeah. So I, I would, I would love to see that. Of course. I mean, to have the opportunity to sell to the nation, what we do would be, would be incredible. You know, I really do think think, and I, and I don't mean this as a negative, but this, this has been the most challenging time that I've seen the California industry face to date. I think that 
you know, a mass exodus is happening now as we speak. And it's unfortunate, but I do think we will see players eliminate that probably weren't expected. Sometimes these big mergers and acquisitions don't end up in fairy tales. They end up in litigation and, and, and losing businesses, which is unfortunate. So I don't like to say that I, I know what will what will happen, but I think this will level out and it will be seen as a commodity level business. And we probably will get a fair price for, for our product, but I really don't think it's realistic that we're going to see these big surges, highs and lows. I think eventually we will find a steady niche and groove um, for the amount of product that will be produced and the amount of outlets that will hopefully become accessible to us. But, you know, I really do see cannabis here to stay and to continue to grow over time. But right now, unfortunately, it's about riding out this storm because I feel that's what we're in. Right now, the cannabis cultivators, at least of California, we are in like the perfect storm. We're in the deadly storm. So for those of us that make it out, whether that's in six months or a year, they will probably be here to stay. And I wish them all success. Nice. Nice. All right. So last question, what do plants crave? What do your plants crave? Sun. It's fun to walk through the greenhouse and see all the plants reaching towards the sun, which uh, I kind of geek out on that. But you know, by the way, I wish everybody could have seen her on the video waving her hands up in the air back and forth like a plant. <laughs> Again, I, I really attribute it to where we are. I mean, I wish everyone could look at my office right now and see what I'm seeing. I mean, we've got beautiful blue skies. We have the cleanest air in the state of California because the the amount of agriculture that's grown here. So high quality sun, we have clean water. We have our own two water wells that are tested regularly. Our water is so clean. If we wanted to legally bottle it and sell it, we could. And the amount of care that our people put into it, scouting daily, walking the plants, you know, handling them with care. What's kind of interesting is, which we hadn't touched on yet is my workforce is predominantly female. I have 70 to 85% of a female workforce. You know, women, women treat things with tender, loving care. You know, we're very, we're, we're very nurturing, you know, where we have a more delicate touch to, to everything that we do. And I think it really shows. So our cannabis, you know, cultivation style, I think is, is about opening the lens to not just having, you know, one type of, you know, end user or consumer. You know, I've always thought to myself, if I can get my mom to try it, if I can get my mom is, you know, comes from a Latina family. Um, she was at, at the beginning, you know, very, skeptical to this new endeavor and not to share, but you know, she, you know, she's finally really started to embrace how we do things and what we do. And she's so proud. And when I went to that cannabis conference, she's posting it on her Facebook. And if, if you can turn believers into, into people that are going to buy from you for life and will come back and share their experiences and, and people start to feel comfortable having these cannabis conversations and trying it, uh, sometimes, you know, alternative medicines or, you know, there, there's just so much opportunity for, for this industry to expand it. And that's what I really actually look forward to is like, I love it when people finally feel that connection or opening to me um, or to my family. And instead of seeing it as a negative or a bad thing, I love to hear cannabis stories from people or people tell me that they've bought our products and have tried it and loved it. Or, you know, I recently hosted a bridal shower and I asked a local vendor to do this big, beautiful balloon arch. And she said, oh my God, you're that, you're that girl from, from, from that cannabis farm. And I, I said, yeah, she's like, I buy your product all the time. And she's doing like a balloon installation in my house. And so 
I like get so much joy out of like, you know, meeting people that are, that are using our products or love our products or just people that are like thrilled that, you know, I'm a minority woman in business and they're like, and on top of it, I'm in a taboo industry, I'm in cannabis. And so, you know, if I can be a role model for, for one person, you know, I'm happy, I'm excited. <laughs> that is beautiful. Okay. So I have a few rapid fire questions. Okay. That were not on your, uh, not, not official. They're supposed to be fun. I uh, okay. don't think too hard about it. Okay. All right. Rapid fire questions. Okay. Number one, are plants introverts or extroverts? Extroverts. Okay. Uh, second question. Can cannabis help create a more sustainable world? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, am I supposed to elaborate? I'm so sorry. You want it, it's totally fine. I'm I'm loving your answers so far. Well, I've been to I've been to events where I'm seeing people use every element of the of the plant, and I wish I could find more sources where people wanted to use our branches for paper or the leaves for soaking in alcohol and using it as a natural remedy, our outer water leaves. It's a very sustainable, I mean, the amount of water we use compared to commodity agriculture, forget about it. I mean, there are so many uses of cannabis that people don't even think about on a regular basis. And I think that we could ultimately be one of the crops that have absolutely no waste if we were to be more methodical and had more outlets to send waste. Awesome. Okay. Well, now, now that you elaborated on that, I want you to elaborate on why you think plants are extroverts. I think they're extroverts because they're meant to be shared. They're meant to be loved with, you know, yourself, your friends, your family. Like, like my sister, we joke all the time. Like she's my favorite, like smoking buddy. Like if people could be more open-minded about cannabis consumption and what it really means, it should be like opening to me a bottle of wine or it should be like, uh, you know, a conversation with your loved one or, friend or family, you know, I think I love cannabis consumption with loved ones, family, friends. Um, and it's really cool when you're able to experience it even on a broader scale with like colleagues on a special occasion, or when we're all traveling for business and everybody wants, you know, a puff at the end of the night, there's nothing bad about it. There's no difference from enjoying a glass of wine. So I think when I think of cannabis, and I think of extroverts, I'm an extrovert. And I'm always, you know, wanting to, you know, share and laugh and entertain and, and be around people. And that's what I think about when I think about personally about cannabis consumption, even if I smoke it by myself, you know, to have a good laugh and to feel relaxed or to watch a funny movie. It's, it's a happy experience. I think. I freaking love that. It's meant, plants <laughs> are meant to be shared. I, I, I mean, perfect. Uh, okay. Number three, last one. Okay. Imagine a big uh, salad bowl in front of you. Okay. What's in it? A big salad bowl in front of me. Okay. Like a real salad? <laughs> <laughs> yes. A real, I mean, okay. I don't know. Maybe it's a fake salad. But <laughs> okay, no, I thought it was a joke. Okay. I'm from like you the salad bowl of the world. I want to know what's in your salad. This is funny because I love to cook and so does my boyfriend. So we're always sharing recipes and uh, we have a lot of fun. So um, my go-to salad as of late is from my boyfriend's mom. It's spinach, candied uh, walnuts, dried cranberries, a homemade vinaigrette. She'll do like a, you know, a crumbly cheese, like a, like a goat cheese or a gorgonzola. Or 
the good old fashioned play on the Olive Garden, good old fashioned iceberg. Iceberg makes this world go round. There's nothing like the taste of fresh, cold iceberg with tomato. Such a bad rap. I don't know. You know what? And I don't like that people don't like iceberg. Have you had a good wedge? Have you had a good salad? Even from Olive Garden. If there's an Olive Garden in your community, you better go down there and you get a bowl of that salad because it's delicious. And I make it all the time at at my house. Tag Olive Garden. I mean, hey, tag Olive Garden for for sure. They make an incredible salad. And, you know, Iceberg gets a bad rep, but Iceberg that's fresh that you buy and you chop that night. Sweet and crunchy. Yeah, it's delicious. I I agree. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, this was so much fun uh, and so informative. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I super appreciate the conversation um, and all your insights based on on your location um, and also, you know, being a, a, a woman in the cannabis industry. I think we could probably have a whole other conversation about that. I think both of you, both of us have probably had other conversations of uh, being women in this industry. You know, thank you for all your insights. Uh, this is really fun for me. This was very, very fun. I so appreciate you thinking of me and having me on, you know, your platform. And, you know, I, I will hope that we continue to cross paths in the future. And I appreciate, you know, the work it takes to put into creating one of these, you know, podcasts and getting guests to come and, and chat. And I just thank you for this opportunity to tell you a little bit about what we do. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to find your product. Uh, I don't, I don't know that I've seen it in Sacramento, but I don't go to all the dispensaries. So I'm going to, I'm going to find it. Okay. Well, if you go onto our website, www.growwithrvf.com, we actually have a dispensary finder, um, kind of similar to a play on weed maps. That's very helpful for anybody listening that would like to try, or you can always DM us on our Instagram, which is at Riverview Farms underscore. Um, I actually look at the DMs every single day. So if uh, you ever want to give me a shout or want to ask us a question or want to hear or give us suggestions on what they want to see in terms of content, I'm always looking at it. I look at it every single day. Awesome. <laughs> uh, you are a sales genius uh, having the read the dispensary finder. I'm going to check it out. Awesome. Please do. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day um, and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you so much. And I so appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Dr. Nadia Saba interviewing Michelle Hackett of Riverview Farms for our series, What Plants Crave. Tune in next week for our next episode. Dr. Saba will be speaking to Mallory Quinn, Director of Cultivation with MedMen. I'm Dana Swedan, and this has been The Doctor is In with Dr. Nadia Saba. Thank you for listening.